0: I'm Leslie Canham. I'm Mary Gavoni. I'm Linda
1: Harvey. I'm Olivia Wan. And together we are the Compliance Divas.
2: Welcome to the Compliance Divas podcast. I'm Mary Gavoni and I'll be your moderator for this episode. And I'm joined, of course, by Olivia Wan, Linda Harvey, and Leslie Canham. We bring clarity and simplicity to compliance by navigating the regulatory environment to keep you on course. You can subscribe to the Compliance Divas podcast through your favorite podcast channel or on our website, thecompliancedivas.com. All of the resources and documents that we mentioned during our podcast can be found in the resources page on thecompliancedivas.com. If you have questions, you can submit them by email to support at thecompliancedivas.com. On September 10th, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention updated its interim guidance for infection prevention and control recommendations for healthcare personnel during the coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic couple of things that are very important to note about this. One is that these guidelines, this guidance now applies to all healthcare settings, including dentistry. And the set of interim guidance or interim guidelines that we've talked about in previous podcasts from December 4th of 2020 has now been archived, but included for the most part into this new document. So the good news here is that this is full acknowledgement that dentistry is part of mainstream healthcare, something that we have wanted in the dental profession for a very long time, that we're not sort of the stepchild. Um, But It could be confusing to some dental professionals because we're used to having our own special dental guidelines or our own special dental guidance. So the thing to note in this podcast is we're taking the broad view of what applies to all healthcare settings. And then in a subsequent podcast, we will emphasize updates to the information for just Dental settings. So we'll make that that clear, but also keep in mind that we do have still a set of guidelines from 2003 guidelines for infection control and in dental health care settings from the CDC that still applies to all of us. This is interim guidance during the pandemic. So Olivia, one of the first changes in or updates to this guidance has to do with identifying and managing individuals who may have symptoms or they may have a confirmed case of COVID-19. Can you help us understand this section of the updated guidance? Sure. Thank you, Mary. I like the way
1: CDC indicates that we have to establish a process. So it's all about creating our processes and systems. And one of the things that CDC recommended is that we can educate people about our infection control uh, or infection prevention and control practices by posting visual alerts, whether that's signage or a poster. And one of the things that I learned out of this updated guidance is that why not date it? People have become accustomed to seeing these posters on the doors, on the stores, and they may not pay any attention to it. So why not get a Sharpie pen and in large print, print the date, like the beginning and the end of the week, Uh, even if you have to post new signage week to week, but putting an updated date might grab their attention so people can be aware of what our process is. Also, it's very important to establish a process to identify anyone, anyone coming into our practice, uh, regardless of their vaccination status. And there's uh, three points to look for. One is, have they had a positive viral test for SARS-CoV-2? Do they have symptoms of COVID-19 or anyone who meets the criteria for quarantine or exclusion from work? Now, unfortunately, when many of the states lifted the mask mandates, people stopped screening. And that is such a critical component of our program in order to be in compliance with CDC. So regardless how we do it, we have to establish that process for individual screening on arrival into the facility, whether you have some kind of electronic means where people check themselves in and they go through a series of questions, or if the individual that enters into the facility has a self-reporting, but there has to be some kind of process and that should be detailed in your COVID plan. And then CDC also makes it clear, Mary, that even if a worker is fully vaccinated, that they still should report any of those three alerts uh, regardless whether they're vaccinated or not because of these breakthrough infections. And this would apply to everyone. And then if we have an unvaccinated healthcare worker, such as one of our dental team members or one of our patients or a visitor, which could be a caregiver, someone that comes along with the patient, and they indicate they've not been vaccinated, then we should be very proactive in offering resources and counseling to educate them on how effective the vaccine is. So I think these are good points, Mary, to bring into our dental practices
2: in learning this new guidance. Absolutely, Olivia. And thank you for that absolutely great summary. And one thing I wanted to note is that the CDC has lots of posters and signs as resources that you can download and utilize. And we will include links to those on the resource page. So another update um, in this um, document from the CDC is about source control. And that's a term that hasn't been as familiar to us in, in dentistry, but Linda will explain what source control is and talk about how it applies to dental facilities.
3: Yes, Mary, thank you very much. Well, the CDC has a general definition of source control. And it states that and it refers to the fact of using respirators or well-fitting face mask or face or cloth mask to cover a person's mouth and nose to spread, to prevent the spread of respiratory secretions when they are breathing, talking, sneezing, or coughing. Now we, we hear this in the past, but you think about cloth mask, we have heard that that is not appropriate in healthcare settings, so specifically the CDC takes that definition and then gives us uh, the source control options for healthcare providers, which are threefold. First is using a NIOSH approved N95 equivalent or higher respirator. And let's take a moment and just talk about who NIOSH is. NIOSH is the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health, and that's an agency tucked under the CDC. And they have the authority to test and approve N95 regulators, respirators, to be sure that they meet the requirements that we have in our country. So that's the first source control option for us in healthcare. The second is a respirator that's approved under standards used in other countries that are similar to the NIOSH approved N95 face filtering respirators. Now we may remember that last year the Food and Drug Administration issued what was known as the emergency use authorization and a, temporarily approving the use of KN95 masks that were that are made in other countries. And we know that as of July 6, that emergency use authorization was rescinded. So we can no longer use a KN-95 mask for patient care and healthcare settings. So I would refer our listeners to check out that podcast if they have not already listened to our version of that one. Now, the third option for source control for us in healthcare is a well-fitting face mask. That could be a surgical mask, for example, um, something that's well-fitting that can be molded around your nose. The CDC further talks about source control, Mary, and says that when, it's, when a N95 respirator mask or higher or a well-fitting face mask is used, and it's used solely for source control, that can be worn for an entire shift unless it becomes soiled or damaged or hard to breathe through. So in other words, you could wear that same mask all day long if you're in a a front office, for example, Or if you save your mask when you get up and you leave your operatory and you're uh, moving around throughout the office, you can wear that same source control mask all day long. But not the mask you saw that they just treated your patient in, though. And it's not the mask you're going to continue wearing when you step back into the operatory to treat the next patient. So that's the same thing really to be bear in mind with that because if it's used, and the CDC specifically states that when it's used you know, for patient care, that it has to be removed and discarded after the patient encounter, and then a new one should be donned. So that's one mask you know, per patient, one respirator per patient. Now, coupled with source control is physical distancing. So let's say a few words about that. And specifically, the CDC has a bold print in their document that this applies to everyone in healthcare setting. So regardless of your vaccination status, it's important that we maintain a physical distance of six feet when it's feasible and it does not interfere with the provision of care. Now, when you think about that in a dental setting, it's almost, um, is it possible? And the answer is no, not in a clinical environment where we're sitting there treating patients, seating patients and so forth. However, there are other aspects of applicability in a dental setting, such as maybe the business office or sitting six feet apart in the break room, for example. But if, um, let's talk about regardless of whether the vaccination status is though, and you live or work in counties with a substantial to higher rate of transmission, there's five criteria that come into place where we need to be social distancing. One is if you've not been fully vaccinated. Two, you're suspected or confirmed with SARS-CoV-2 or other respiratory infection. And that just includes a good old cough, runny nose, or, you know, just a cold. Or three, you've had close contact with patients or visitors who have a higher risk exposure. And four, you have moderate or you're moderately to severely immunocompromised. And five, otherwise, had source control and physical distancing recommended recommended by public health authorities. So when you look at these five criteria... We need to see how we can fit them into a dental setting and apply them where appropriate. Because obviously, as we just said, when you're treating a patient, you can't be physically distanced. You're going to wear a higher level of PPE. So physical distancing coupled with source control is extremely important. Now, the following allowances should be considered for fully vaccinated individuals who do not otherwise meet the criteria that I just described. Like They're not confirmed or suspected with COVID, and they haven't had COVID. Um, close contact with patients or visitors or have a higher risk exposure. And they are living and working in an area, a county, with low to moderate community transmission. In that case, a fully vaccinated individual could choose not to wear source control or physically distance themselves, but only in areas that are well-defined, that are are restricted from patient access. And that would be your staff break room, or maybe you have a meeting room in your office or a kitchen area, someplace that's very well defined. So they should wear source control when they are in any areas of healthcare facilities, such as a dental practice, where they could encounter patients. So for the most part, I think in a dental practice, we need to continue wearing the source control mask. In all situations. There's very few situations unless it, the size of your practice or the type of your practice affords that situation where you can be in a well-defined area restricted from patient access. And Maria, I want to go back and say just something about the fact that the CDC is stressing quite a bit about the community transmission rate. And I'd like to refer our listeners to the CDC uh, COVID tracker data, where you can drill down by your state and county and find out exactly what your transmission rate is and whether you're in the red zone or not. And let's be sure that we keep that, we'll put that link on our resource pages. Absolutely, Linda. And
2: thank you so much for that great explanation. Um, I know that we've all discussed um, with clients patients who are giving the dental practices a hard time. We don't have a mask mandate. We don't have to practice source control, although they don't call it that. We don't have to wear a mask when we come in and we need to remind them that the mask mandates apply to public settings, not to necessarily to healthcare settings and the CDC mandate is that they do wear a mask when they enter our premises. And again, I loved Olivia's idea from earlier about posting signage, not only for our team members, but for our patients and putting dates on it so that everybody knows um, that it is the most current information. So thank you so much. Leslie, can you discuss updates to implementation and use of personal protective equipment for healthcare
0: personnel? Well, thank you, Mary. Yes, uh, I am going to cover Universal use of PPE for healthcare providers. And I'm going to spend just a little bit of time talking about general PPE, but not necessarily dental PPE, because we're going to cover that in a, a subsequent podcast on the same topic of the CDC update from September. So, what I'd like to do first is thank Linda for providing that information on the COVID tracker. That's very important when it comes to determining what level of PPE you're going to use if SARS-CoV-2 infection is not suspected in a patient presenting for care, now this would be based on your screening and exposure history, then healthcare providers working in facilities in counties with substantial or high transmission should also use PPE as described in these points below that I'm gonna discuss um, from this guidance. So the first bullet point is, NIOSH-approved N95 or equivalent or higher respirators should be used for all aerosol-generating procedures. The guidance does give us a link to click on on what procedures are considered to be aerosol-generating procedures in healthcare settings. But for us in dentistry, it really boils down to use of ultrasonic scalers, high-speed dental handpieces, air and water syringes, air polishing, and air abrasion. The next section refers to surgical procedures that might pose a higher risk of transmission if the patient has COVID-19. And I'm going to skip that section because we're going to focus on screening our patients and only providing dental care for those who do uh, pass the screening process. And then the next bullet point covers facilities could consider the use of NIOSH-approved N95 or or equivalent or higher level respirators for healthcare workers working in other situations where multiple risk factors for transmission are present. One example might be if the patient is unvaccinated, unable to use source control, and the area is poorly ventilated. Now, I have to reflect back on some of the dental practices and clinics that I visited over the past year and a half, and some don't have windows and and appear to be Poorly ventilated. So that might be a consideration if you think about your office building or your treatment room is in a way where you can't provide appropriate ventilation. And by the way, uh, ventilation and air quality is another topic that we're going to get to in our next uh, podcast and how you might uh, mitigate harm by increasing air quality. Now, the last area to consider with personal protective equipment, at least for this guidance for all healthcare providers, and again, remember, we're going to drill down into dental healthcare providers in our next podcast eye protection. You might have noticed a change for uh, eye protection when you look at this uh, OSHA regulations. It now states goggles or face shield. And for all healthcare workers, it also states eye protection as goggles or face shields that covers the front and sides of the face and should be worn during all patient care encounters. So when we look at dentistry, we've discovered that your typical trauma glasses or even prescription glasses and even some loops don't offer enough protection from particles that might be generated during patient care uh, that fly out of a patient's mouth, objects that could hit you in the eye or fluids and splashes that could get in through the bottom gaps or the side gaps. So the face shield is a great way to make sure that you're protected well, and goggles do a nice job of, of, of separating your mu- mucous membranes of your eyes from the, whatever aerosols are generated that may have viruses or bacteria. Thank
2: you, Leslie, that is such helpful information. One of the additional changes to this updated guidance from the CDC has to do with SARS-CoV-2 testing. And there has been a lot of controversy surrounding testing, um, access and accuracy and and so forth. And the CDC is now saying that anyone vaccinated or not that has mild symptoms of COVID-19 should get a viral test as soon as possible. The most accurate one that we've seen so far is a PCR test, which is actually a nasal swab that's sent to a laboratory, but there are tests, viral tests that can be done in office, in states where that is allowed, or through a testing site. Most likely the least accurate testing that you may have are the -the over-the-counter tests, that you can buy at the drugstores, but they are for the most part reliable. That's a decision that you have to make what type of a test that you want to get. In addition, anyone who's a healthcare provider who is at higher risk of exposure to patients, those would be our clinical dental team, um, who is asymptomatic. If you have an exposure, close contact to someone with Uh, SARS-CoV-2 infection, regardless of your vaccine status, you need to have two viral tests done. One that's done not earlier than two days, because remember, it takes about two days for the virus to show up in your system. So within two days after the exposure, and if that one is negative, you are tested again five to seven days after the exposure because most likely between the second and the fifth day, that virus will show up if you are going to show up positive. But if you've had COVID within the last 90 days, then testing isn't recommended because most likely you will still have some detectable virus in your system from that prior infection. So we're going to Direct you to a specific set of guidance that we will include in the references, which is very specific about managing personnel with SARS CoV 2 infection or exposure. This is a separate set of guidance that elaborates on what we've just mentioned. But again, if you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, if you have mild symptoms, get tested immediately. If you are asymptomatic, you've been exposed or been in close contact with someone with SARS-CoV-2, you should be tested at two days after your exposure. And if that test is negative, then you're tested again five to seven days after that exposure. And if you're negative again after seven days... You don't need to be concerned about isolation or quarantine. And again, I'm going to refer you back to the guidance for managing healthcare personnel, the separate document for understanding what the guidance is about isolation, quarantine, and when you can return to work if you've been exposed, tested negative, and so forth. So those will be very, very helpful documents. And there are some states that will allow um, testing it, to be done in office if you, um, if your state dental board has allowed you to do that testing and to waive a certain set of requirements, so that could be done. Just keep in mind that any results of COVID testing are confidential medical records, and so they should not be. Um, made available to everyone in the practice, other than you may disclose that someone on the team has COVID, and then you follow whatever the CDC guidance is about who else needs to be tested, who must quarantine, but we do not disclose specific results on a specific patient. And at this point, I'm going to ask the other divas if you have any other special tips that you would like to Um, share about testing? Leslie.
0: You know, uh, testing does give us a a little bit more confidence and I hope as the community transmission rates go down that we will uh, have more confidence that the testing is accurate. However, with that slim margin that we could have someone come through that tests negative, but actually is uh, infected, I still want to re-emphasize my point of personal protective equipment that we don't want to let down our guard just simply because we have a test or on-site testing. If that becomes uh, allowable by within your scope of practice by your dental board, or that someone tells you that they uh, tested recently and had a negative test. Uh, another thing that I'd like to mention is uh, just something that has come up personally for me in many of my dental uh clients practices where patients are wanting to know if the dental team is vaccinated and uh, we talked you talked a little bit about confidential medical records and that brought up for me that question i'm sure that our listeners have probably had patients ask the same thing and back circling back to personal protective equipment Uh, If we're wearing the proper PPE, if we're wearing N95 respirators while we are hovering over a patient's mouth, while their mouth is unprotected and their nose is unprotected, we're protecting them as well. So the uh, question of whether a team member is vaccinated or unvaccinated, we can't reveal that information for privacy purposes. But let's focus on the importance of personal protective equipment in all ways at all times.
2: Awesome, Leslie. Thank you so much for sharing that. Olivia is going to now discuss how you can create a process to respond if you do have an exposure among the team or with patients. Thank you, Mary.
1: I think that's what CDC is trying to emphasize is that we should have a plan. And I'm not going to repeat what you have already provided instruction on, on how to do the testing, because you covered that very, very well. But what I would like to caution listeners to is that when you read through the guidance, it does link to other guidance sheets. And so even though we're grouped in with healthcare facilities and you might be reading what you're supposed to do in a nursing home or a dialysis clinic, we still want to refer back to other guidance sheets such as healthcare infection prevention and control FAQs for COVID-19. And that would give us step-by-step instruction on how to perform a risk assessment and how we would apply these work restrictions for workers who were exposed to an infected provider. And this comes up in dealing with support questions week to week, where maybe a dentist is positive and how many of the workers were exposed. We have to determine and start with that beginning point, was there prolonged contact and what types of PPE were they wearing? And so we would go through this process. Now, in trying to determine if patients were exposed, for example, or even another worker, CDC makes the point that contacts who are within their three months of onset of prior SARS-CoV-2 infection might not require quarantine or testing if they remain asymptomatic. So that's some important points to update our guidance. So once again, that plan must be written and there's good resources out there. I know that OSHA has released their COVID-19 plan template And that's a good starting point for people to make sure that they have a plan in place. And we will be sure to list that link for our listeners if they choose to use that COVID-19 plan that's been made available by OSHA. And I think that should cover it. But thank you, Mary. You did a great job on talking about um,
2: screening. Thank you, Olivia. Any other points that any of our other divas would like to share before we wrap up this podcast?
3: Linda. Mary, a couple of times when I was talking about source control, I was mentioning the fact that we need to be using an N95 respirator or higher. And I just wanted to qualify that briefly and kind of you know, explain to our listeners what that means, because it's not referencing a level three surgical mask, for example. So we'll have a resource document that we'll provide to you also from the CDC for, for all of our listeners that explains the different levels. But briefly, I'll say that Um, An example would be wearing an N99 or an N100 respirator mask instead of an N95, or perhaps using what's called elastomeric respirators, which are reusable respirators. And you look at those in movies and you think of them like a gas mask, for example. Those are half-face models, and then they have full-face models of the elastomeric style. And then last but not least are the powered air purifying respirators or the PAPRs. And those are an over-the-head type of... uh, Uh, helmet sort of look that we kind of joke about from time to time. And I wanted to draw that distinction to our listeners because when the CDC is saying an N95 respirator or higher, that N95 is sort of the baseline or the lowest level respirator that we should be wearing for aerosol generating procedures. Thank you so
2: much, Linda. Thank you all for joining us today. This is a podcast you may want to listen to more than once because there is so much information included. But also make sure that you go to our resources page on the Compliance Diva's website and download the copy of this guidance from the CDC and review it with your team. Check the links that are there within the document and look at the other supporting resources that we're going to provide for you. Our next episode will continue the story of the updated guidance, but as Leslie and everyone said, drilling down to those things that specifically apply to um, the the nuances in dental settings. So thank you again for participating in the Compliance Divas podcast. Again, you can um, subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcast channel or visit our website, thecompliancedivas.com, submit any questions To by email to support at thecompliancedivas.com. Thank you for joining us.